Welcome to Game On, the weekly football podcast bringing together seasoned professionals, the male star football writers and a celebrity fan or two. I'm your host, Mark Pugach. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Game On on video. Hello, I'm Mark Pugach and welcome to Game On. Nine, the number of the week. Manchester United put nine past Southampton at Old Trafford. Arsenal reduced to nine men at Molyneux. And it's nine years since Liverpool have lost back-to-back home league games. That's now happened after Brighton won at Anfield. So joining us this week to discuss all this, Southampton legend Matt Letizier, former Premier League and European Championship final referee Mark Clattenburg, and Martin Samuel, the Daily Mail's chief sports writer. Hello, everybody. Hello, Mark in Greece. I hope you're well over there. Let's reflect on the London derby at the Tottenham Stadium on Thursday night and another defeat for Tottenham. Chelsea win 1-0. Matt, it leaves us all wondering what is going on with Mourinho and Tottenham. It can't just be that they've got an injury to their main man because injuries happen to every team, to every club. What do you think is going on? Um, no, it, it's certainly a factor uh, in what's going on. Um, you know, you don't you don't uh, lose a player of, of Harry Kane's ability and influence on the team without it having some effect. Um, so that that is a small part of it. Um, but there's obviously a lot more to it than than kind of meets the eye because the performances from Spurs at the moment there's just I don't know there's just no oomph for them. It might be that the the amount of fixtures have started to take in the toll on the players. I don't know. I have I have kind of noticed a little drop-off in the quality of football, I think, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and uh, as I say, that may well be down to the amount of games that they're playing. Um, but certainly something is amiss because when you've got somebody of Gareth Bale's ability sat on a substitute bench and you're losing a game of football... How, how you can find three other players to put on the pitch in front of him is really odd. Um, and I appreciate that, you know, he hasn't had a huge amount of minutes and he hasn't had a huge amount of influence on the games that he has played so far. But the only way that you can get him to a, to a level is to play more minutes. And you, and you have to almost sacrifice those first few appearances of perhaps a little bit of mediocrity getting up to speed to then be able to see him flourish after that. And it just seems a bit odd that that's not, be, not been able to happen. I mean, he was asked that directly afterwards in Mourinho. He said, very good question. I'm not going to answer it. I mean, he's pretty frosty about it. I mean, it seems, it seems at the moment inconceivable that Tottenham would keep him on for another season on loan, doesn't it? Uh, I would say it was pretty much impossible. Um, you know, when you're, when you're paying somebody that amount of money, you've got to have some tangible return for it. Um, and, and at the moment... They're not getting that from him. And, you know, that may be partly his fault due to, I don't know, his standards in training. Um, we, we don't see training every day. Um, but it does seem pretty a pretty remote possibility that this will go on into next season. Martin, are you ready to write another Wither Mourinho column? <laughs> now, look, I, I think the, the funny thing, I didn't think Spurs played uh, well last night. Um, I don't think they're in a particularly good moment as um, uh, a lot of the uh, the uh, European managers always call it a particularly good moment. And um, 
However, <laughs> um, without Eric Dyer committing an act of absolute lunacy, and, and how Jose Mourinho has said that is not a penalty, I, I do not know. I mean, he has about six swings at the guy virtually whilst laying on the floor. I mean, remarkable stuff. Um, and, and that is all that separates the teams in the end, this one, this one thing. Um, so I do think there is the potential for Tottenham to um, turn a corner, just as I thought there's the potential for Liverpool to turn a corner for, for a lot of those clubs. Um, and you, you can't just keep every, you know, the, the elite clubs, you can't just keep getting rid of the manager every six months or a year or whatever if you don't think it works and uh, and stuff. And, and Harry Kane is a huge loss. So I'm prepared to... Um, uh, have a lot of mitigating factors for why Tottenham have been um, poor for the last uh, two or three games. Um, but without a shadow of a doubt, it's, uh, there's a spark that has gone. There's, there's a spark that has gone for them. And I think it's possibly, you know, Kane and Son were that outball for them. And that was their way to go. And there weren't really many other ways to go. The midfield don't particularly score. Bergwin is a, is a support player. He, he's, 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 he's not anywhere near as important to them as Kane and Son. And it's just very hard to go through a season relying on two guys to, to, to win your games all the time, every single time. Mark, he, he laid it on thick Mourinho with Andre Mariner. He's a great referee. I have a lot of respect for him. But he got it wrong, he said. He didn't get it wrong, did he? I mean, it was a fairly straightforward penalty. Werner was very clever, wasn't he? Yeah, of course he was. And I think, you know, Jose Mourinho is going to play mind games. He'd probably be disappointed with Dyer um, privately, but he, he'll try and use Andre Mariner as, as the barrier. And yeah, he's very clever. He'll say that the referee had a great game. He's a great guy because it's not about this game. It's about the next one. So, you know, he, he knows that he's going to meet Andre Mariner in a few weeks' time. So, you know, he's, he's playing mind games, of course, and, you know, he's going to defend his player. But it was a straightforward penalty. And in a big game, you know, you want your players to be focused and not commit such lunatic acts. So, Matt, on the other side of the coin, if you supported Chelsea, you'd be feeling quite quietly confident, wouldn't you? Three clean sheets under Tuchel, two wins. I'm going to take Martin's point. For, for all they had the ball, they didn't make lots of chances. But there definitely seems to be a difference about Chelsea already, doesn't there? Well, I mean, certainly three clean sheets in a row is something to take a, a huge positive out of. Uh, it's not something they've done too often. Um, and when you keep clean sheets you pick up points. It's as simple as that. And there might be the odd uh, nil-nil draw in there. But if you're if you base your team on a on a solid defense, you know, you're going to be pretty successful. You know, as long as you've got uh, a sprinkling of players who can do something at the other end of the pitch. And to be fair, looking at Chelsea's squad, they've almost got too many of those kind of players. You know, it, I think the one thing that uh, perhaps uh, handicapped Frank a little bit in his team selections was that he did have too many to choose from and he couldn't find mm. the right combination um, and to get any kind of consistency in that area players need to be playing alongside the same players all the time because then you get to know each other's game um, and it's very difficult if you're chopping and changing the, the front four or five or, or six or however, however many you want to play up there if you keep chopping and changing them they're not going to have that period of time on a pitch to be able to get to know each other's games intricately. And it's, it's very difficult. And I think sometimes you can have too much attacking talent at your fingertips to choose from. Um, and you and you spend most of your time trying to keep everyone happy as opposed to having the right combination and go and win football matches. 
Top four tilt back on for Chelsea, Martin, isn't it? Definitely. Top oh, yeah, four definitely. charge. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, it, it, no one, the fact that Liverpool have dropped points, the fact that Manchester United got beat by Sheffield United, the fact that Leicester um, dropped points the other, uh, other day, you know, all of that, um, Chelsea didn't actually lose touch with the top four. Uh, the, the title, I think Tuchel was right, what he said about the title. You look at it at the moment, they're 11 points off Manchester City and City have got a game in hand. So 14 points, you've got to be some sort of a miracle worker and something disastrous has got to happen at City um, for them to overtake them. But anybody else, I think, in, the, in that top four will be looking over their shoulders at, at, at Chelsea because the talent is there without a shadow of a doubt. Whatever was wrong uh, towards the end of Frank Lampard's time, no one ever doubted that they've got good players. And one of the things that took that, they seemed a lot more direct yes, um, last night, you know, and not long ball direct, good direct. Giorgino trying to find eye of the needle passes. There wasn't just that sort of passing for passing sake almost, which, which Chelsea had got sucked into where you go sideways and then you go there and then you go sideways and then you go there. And nothing really happens. It all happens in front of the other team. They were actually getting in behind Tottenham um, and and had a, a number of good chances, which if they'd have taken them, if, if, if maybe Werner had been in a more confident place at the moment, um, they could have won by more. They were much better than Tottenham. I mean, um, notwithstanding what I said about Marino, and I can understand certain factors, Chelsea were much, much better than Tottenham last night. Chelsea's still got to get past West Ham though, Martin. Come on. Uh, yeah, look, <laughs> mate, I mean, uh, the, do you know the funny thing? Uh, London's what? top team at the moment are West London's Ham. London's top team, uh, London top team in London, as we say. And <laughs> um, uh, the the uh, the funny thing is, is when you saw Liverpool playing against Brighton, you saw West Ham playing against Aston Villa the same night. What you couldn't work out is why West Ham played as they did against Liverpool because yeah. they played yeah. like a West Ham of sort of twelve months ago yeah. when they didn't have the confidence to think, right, yeah. we can actually have a little bit of a go here because. You know, as Burnley have shown, as Brighton have shown, Liverpool have got vulnerability at the moment. And uh, no, it was it was the, the game we got on on Sunday was it was a, a bit of a letdown, really, when you saw how well they played against yeah. Aston Villa. Okay, let's get on to what happened in the week with David Luiz and Jan Bednarek. We might have to restrain Matt Letizier at this point. Um, let's start. Okay, let's start with Mark, Matt. Then we'll come back to you, Mark. Talk. Let's start with with Bednarek and Old Trafford. Talk us through everything, the decision-making on the pitch and what's happened since. It's interesting because Mike Dean didn't award the penalty kick. He should have he awarded one earlier in the match, which was overturned again by Graham Scott, where the foot was on the line. And that was more of a penalty uh, because the foot was on the line and it should have been given, but the VR overturned it. And in this one, Bednarek comes across, he pulls out the challenge, Martial thinks he's going to receive some contact, so he goes down. Is it a dive or not? My opinion it is because the referee gives a penalty uh, in the end. So there was no contact. He's deceived the referee, so therefore it should have been cleared up by VAR. But when Mike Dean's gone to the to the video review area, he's uh, compounded um, the errors by going back, awarding a penalty, and then having to send the boy off, um, Benderek, because he believes that it's a goal-scoring opportunity where... You know, when you look at it, there's no contact, um, and therefore to send them to send them off again, it's compounding a double error because uh, no wonder Southampton were furious because it's two errors. And when you have all the video angles available, 
um, and you can see it in slow motion that Bednek doesn't make any contact whatsoever. Martial, if you look at players' body language, is very sheepish on the floor because he knows what he's done. Yeah. He's going down already, Martial, isn't it? As you say, because he's anticipated a contact. He's already on the way down. In, I can understand, um, Mark, why players you know, do this because in, in, in fast motion, they don't want to get injured, they don't want to get clipped, you know, and they try and ride challenges. But Martial's dragged his foot along and when there's no contact, then, you know, players should be cautioned for it because, you know, it's, it's an act of deceiving and he has. He's, he's cost this player lucky enough that the, the Football Association rescinded it yesterday, but it would have been, you know, the, the triple punishment, a penalty, being sent off on the, that match in one match ban and it would have been completely unfair in this situation. I mean, Matt, it didn't make any difference to the result. We've got to, we've got to say that. I mean, the, res- the, the result had gone, but for you, Absolutely. it's more, and we'll get on to the David Louise as well. For you, is it more about what it says about the game today and where it's going? Uh, I, I think, yeah, firstly, let, let's, not, let's, not, uh, let's not put this into any doubt. This has nothing to do with the result on the night. You know, the, the better team won. Um, and this is all about the, the process of, of VAR. Um, and how it should work and how it didn't work and how it failed. Um, you know, I, I've always been a, a big supporter of VAR. I've always thought that it could do a lot of good uh, in football. Um, and I still believe that there is uh, a case for that. However, I thought it was completely undermined by that situation for, for Mike Dean to, to actually go to that monitor to see the incident in real time uh, and to not be a big enough man to actually go, do you know what? I, I've got that one wrong. I think he let his ego get in the way. Um, and as Mark said, instead of, instead of holding his hand up and going, I've been con there because that's a dive. Um, I'm going to double down and I'm going to, I'm going to not only give the penalty, but I'm going to then give a red card. Uh, and I was, absolutely flabbergasted when I was sat there watching the game. I was speechless. Um, and, and, I, and I put out a tweet and, and it, it resonated, I think, with a lot of people. Um, uh, and, and, and I did. I felt like I was falling out of love with football when things like that happened because the, the process was brought in to stop, stop injustices happening in the game. And that doesn't matter whether it's 6-0 in the 90th minute or if it's 1-0 in the first minute. It, it doesn't matter. It's the incident itself and how it played out. And for me, I, I don't know, I did. I, it felt like I was losing. I, I was falling out of love with football yeah. um, because of that particular incident. And, and not just because it was my team. I would have felt the same if it had been the other way around. I would have been outraged that a referee was not able to go to a TV screen, watch that incident and not realise that Jan Bednarek had pulled out the challenge and how could he not see that Anthony Martial was already falling down before Jan Bednarek had got anywhere near him? And for, for a referee of, of supposedly that quality to be able to watch a television screen and not see any of this made me very concerned for whether or not Mike Dean is, is fit to referee Premier League games. And that, that sounds a bit harsh because he's been there a long time and he's had good games where he has refereed pretty well. But the scale of that mistake was just, for me, inconceivable. It's the second time, isn't it? It's the second time in uh, two or three weeks where there has been a decision um, made that everybody 
um, who would claim to love football or know football or have anything to do with football goes, oh, well, this will be overturned. And then someone has, has looked at it and they've come back and gone, no, 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 that, 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 that's all right. The Manchester City goal against Aston Villa was another case in point where everybody that saw it in real time went, mm. oh, well, that, that won't be allowed. That, that won't be allowed because he's, he's, he's offside. He can't, he can't do that. And then it comes back and, oh, no, it is allowed. I don't know they've changed, they, they've changed the uh, guidance now. But you, you can't keep having these decisions because everyone who, who thinks they know about football and have watched football all their life come away going, I, I, I don't understand that. I don't understand how, how that can happen. This was meant to stop all of this sort of stuff. This was meant to stop that bit where we all walked away scratching our heads going, well, what the hell happened there? That, it was, it was mm. the exact opposite of what it was meant to meant to achieve. It's meant to eradicate the howler, isn't it? I mean, there's a test mm. match going on now. They brought in DRS and cricket to mm. eradicate the howler. They brought in Hawkeye to eradicate the howler when the ball clearly landed in the tram lines when, you know, when it's being well, served. Well, the, the test match, which yeah. ostensibly uh, at the moment I'm, I'm, I'm covering, so I've, I've sort of come away from the television screen to, just to do this, but what I've, I've been watching it since four o'clock this morning and they've got uh, um, two, the two umpires had got three tests between them going into this test match. But you didn't feel greatly worried about it because you're sitting there thinking, well, we've, we've got Hawkeye, we've got, we've got all of these different safety nets yeah. that will stop something diabolical happening. You know, these guys are very inexperienced. One's got three test matches. One's never uh, umpired a test match before. But you don't feel worried about that as you, you, as you would have done once because you think, well, the technology will protect us. What's happening in football is, is the thing you thought were gonna, was going to protect you um, is doing the opposite at the moment, or so it seems. Uh, Mark, Mark, the, 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 I was going to that, say that David Louise. You, sorry, you go, Mark. You go. Yeah, but that I totally agree with you, Martin. You know, and, and a lot of you know crickets about you know it's not about opinion, which football is. The problem mm. is, is a lot of Pete Wells' problems is the interpretation of things. We, we looked yeah. at the offside two weeks ago. The interpretation of that. The interpretation of Cash's handball last week. We're looking at the interpretations of what is an attempt to play the ball. A lot of it is P.J. Well not coming out and, and, and telling everybody and, and informing everybody what is these type of decisions because each week we're debating them. One week they're given, the next week they're not. And that's what's causing... Not It's not sometimes, and I agree with what Matt says about VAR, you know, it's not just VAR's fault. The tech, that's the technology. It's still the human being who is mm. making these decisions. The human beings are being inconsistent, and that's where it's upsetting a lot of people about this technology. Mark, uh, let's go on to the David Louise, which is a very interesting one. Um, did Arsenal have a point at all in trying to appeal against that, or was that actually, although it looks a bit unfortunate and he didn't mean to do it, intent means nothing in football. Let's 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 absolutely nail that down. Doesn't matter whether you mean something or not. Did Arsenal have any justification at all in appealing that? Or was that just, unfortunately, a cut-and-dried case of a red card? Um, it would have been interesting if the referee had gone a yellow card on the pitch and then it wouldn't have been, you know, it wouldn't. everybody wouldn't have went, oh, it's an automatic red card. So, you know, I can understand where Arsenal were coming from. Why not try it? It wasn't a frivolous appeal. So, therefore, let's have a go. When you look at the challenge itself, I can understand why Craig Pawson went red card originally because... The way the Wolves attacker falls over, he goes backwards, which me it looks like in real time he gets pulled. Therefore, a pulling action inside the penalty area 
with a, a dog's or situation, denying of an obvious goal scoring opportunity would be a red card. So I can understand on the pitch why Craig Pawson did what he did. However, when you look at the replays, it wasn't a hold, it wasn't a push, and it wasn't a pull. And what we've got to remember, Mark, what this law was brought in for, this law was changed, what, three, four years ago, and it was the triple punishment, it was the penalty, the, the actual reducing your team down to 10 men, and the suspension. So what, what they tried to do was, if we remember back this law, they wanted to eradicate this fully, but they couldn't because what they, they were scared of was somebody just deliberately cleaning somebody out, somebody rugby tackling somebody, which isn't part of football. Mm-hmm. So therefore, holding, pushing and pulling isn't a normal act of football where chasing somebody for the ball, you know, a trip in action, fighting for the ball, a bad tackle, whatever you want to talk, it is a football in action. So therefore, if it's a football in action, it should be deemed a yellow card for stopping a promising attack. So what was it? Because it wasn't any of those. It wasn't a footballing action because it wasn't a mistimed tackle and it wasn't a pull. He just, he shouldn't have done it. He just ran too close behind the player, which meant that his, Louise's knee, kept the back of his leg. So it doesn't fall into any of your categories, does it? And you can argue that... You can argue that the Wolves players pulled his legs back. David Luiz can't avoid it. But I think what you have to do is put the right, the wrong right. You know, the Wolves player has a, a chance to score a goal. So by falling over, he's not going to fall over in this situation because he wants to score a goal. So there is contact. So therefore, let's put wrong the right by at least giving a penalty. But yeah. the wrong seems to be double punished by sending David Luiz off in this situation because it's an accidental clash. It's the problem is the way the law is written, it's an attempt to play the ball. It's an attempt to play nothing. He doesn't attempt to foul the player. He doesn't attempt to no, play exactly. the ball. exactly. Just, they need to do something with the law because if this is the way we're going down, then I'm not comfortable because I think everybody in football, especially the, they use the word spirit in the law now, in the laws of the game, the spirit of this law was to, to stop foul play. This wasn't a foul play. This was just an accident that happens. And therefore, if it's an accident... It should just be a yellow card. And what's interesting um, is that is that you can accidentally handball and you won't be penalised. But if you accidentally foul somebody, you will be penalised. Yeah. yeah. So you think about the Matty Cash the other day when he accidentally handballed because it deflected off him onto his hand. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Um, when you say accidentally handballed it, he actually did move his hand towards the ball. The yeah, fact but, but, but the, the law, he came off his thigh, didn't it? That's an interpretation of Matty Cash because that's a penalty every, everywhere else in Europe. It's just the Pigeon World's interpretation that if it comes off a part of your body, I'm sorry, this is a save. He's full length, thrown himself at the ball. And what? It's took a deflection. That's, that shouldn't make any difference. He's thrown himself at it. It's a save. And therefore, it should have been a penalty kick. I think. I think what also you have to take into consideration in that situation is: is did the deflection actually make any difference? Was mm. was the ball going to hit his arm anyway without the deflection? And even the TV pitches were pretty inconclusive as to whether or not it actually hit his thigh. Let alone whether the ball deviated after it hit his thigh. Um, and again, this is an, another situation where you've got you know, highly qualified people apparently looking at this situation and going, no, that's not a penalty. Um, Were you outraged by the Louise red card? Not the penalty. Were you outraged by the fact that he was sent off for that? Yes. Yeah. 
I, I thought in that situation, uh, a yellow card, as Mark said, I think a yellow card would be um, a punishment because you have to, you have to, sometimes there is reasonable doubt as to whether or not somebody has done something on purpose. And you can't let him get away with it because he's just denied a, a, a goal scoring opportunity. So, yes, I think everybody in football will understand you have to give a penalty in that situation. But what everybody, mostly people in football also understand is you cannot definitively say that David Luiz did that on purpose. You can't watch that and go, I know for 100% for sure that he did that on purpose. So in that situation, you then have to use your common sense, two words that have completely left the planet for the last five years. You have to use your common sense and say, okay, there's a, there's a reasonable doubt there that he didn't do that on purpose. He's run across the back of him. He's clipped him. I'm just going to give him a yellow card for that. And nobody, I don't think anybody, apart from the perhaps the most ardent Wolves fans, would have said, that's wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's sorting out stuff that no one was expecting to sort out, it, it to sort out, if you know. It's sorting out things that nobody was outraged by and, and, and things that, People were made angry by a number. Of you. They're still angry about. You know, it's, it's not sorting out the, the the clear and obvious, basically. And this is where this is where the interpretation comes in because mm. you know if we literally use the actual words that's written in the law, you can make an argument both cases. And I think you know what yeah. referees what the referees sometimes do is we hide behind the laws when we make a certain decision, like the offside a few weeks ago with Manchester City, where everybody in football said. You know, it's in the act of controlling the ball that he's been robbed of the ball. Therefore, it mm. should be offside. If the assistant give the offside, nobody would be talking about it. It's mm. the same with David Luiz. If the referee had give a yellow card, okay, teaching material, maybe the referees get together every two weeks and discuss this. But it's not a decision that's been criticised in football. And what FIFA and FIFA are really good at, at the moment, they've took control of this video technology and they're using ex-players, Pierre-Luigi Kleenex referees, because they need to work together. We need to listen to players. We need to listen to everybody within the game to try and improve it, that we'll get decisions that's accepted by all. Because you know what? We're still talking about the same thing. But Mark, FIFA have blocked people like Matt sitting at Stockley Park as the assistants, haven't they? Because I've heard this so many times this season, understandably from Matt and all the former pros that we all work with going, please put one of us in there because I, you Matt, that you would have been able to say, I know what David Luiz has done there. It's not what, it's not a red card. It's a yellow card and penalty. But FIFA have blocked that, haven't they, Mark? Because a proposal went forward to put former pros in, in the booth. Yeah, and that, you know, there's there's arguments both sides, Mark, and I haven't got a you know I haven't got a problem with either. But what we have to do is listen to people like Matt, you know, who have got big experience in football, and listen to professional players and work out how we get this technology to work in the modern game because these laws are hundreds of years old and it's not suiting the technology. So we have to listen to players, we have to listen to coaches. We have to listen to ex-referees. We have to all work together to make this better because some of the laws, look at offside, for example, you know, when we're talking about arms, you know, players now are pointing to their teammates to where they want the ball and the arms being given offside. And there's a lot of these laws and rules in football that aren't adapted to the technology. What has to happen in the next years is we adapt the technology within the laws because technology is definitely here to stay. 
There's so many caveats. What they've done with the with the rules, they've made so many caveats and and, and things like that. Um, I can remember reading once um, the book that governs tax law in Singapore is I think it's about thirty six pages long or thirty eight pages long, as opposed to the tax law, the stuff that governs tax law over here, which is like as thick as that. And that's why you've got a million loopholes to do with your tax over here and, and Netflix are paying about as much tax as the local greengrocer and, 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 and stuff like that. Where in Singapore, it's very, very hard to avoid tax because the laws are, are tight. The more rules you write in, the, the more open to interpretation now, as, as Mark says, and the more you get these, these interpretations. And, and, and so therefore, one guy's interpretation is not the same as the other guy. They've got to simplify it. They've got to, and, and whether that means going back to the sort of the, the black and white rules or, or whatever, or some or some way sort of nearer to that, but but halfway between maybe, because at the moment there's 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 too much there's too much grey area. Matt, should Southampton be saying they don't want Mike Dean and Lee Mason to referee them again soon? Um, uh, I think um, this. This isn't a knee-jerk reaction to the last few days. Um, I think both referees have got quite a bit of previous uh, with Southampton and controversial decisions. Um, certainly uh, one that immediately springs to mind was a, was a horrific tackle that happened at St Mary's uh, uh, two or three years ago, I think it was now, where Mike Dean um, didn't send off the opposing player uh, and came out after the game and said um, when it became completely obvious that it was a red card um, uh, that should have been issued. He came out after the game and said, "Oh, sorry, I was too close to the incident." Now, I, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I've heard that expression. The before, that the closer else. you got to something, the better review you got of it. You um, could be nearsighted, and that has stuck in the craw of many a Southampton fan. Uh, and I think it's it's just been uh, a succession, and it might be it might be coincidence. And I don't particularly enjoy clubs calling for referees to not referee their games anymore because I don't think it's a, it's a great look, uh, if I'm honest. But it is, it's come on the back of quite a few high-profile decisions. Um, uh, and so I can understand the frustration. I don't like it, if I'm honest. I, I really don't. Mark, have okay. you ever been in that position where you've heard a, a club go, well, Chelsea said they didn't want you to referee after that infamous incident? Uh, also with, uh, with Mikel? Actually, Southampton did, didn't they, Mark? Did they? Adam Milana. I tried to defuse the situation, which I could easily have sent them off. And I used some words that, you know, some referees aren't allowed to speak. And I just said, Adam, you've changed since you played for England and it made world headlines. And then Southampton didn't want me to referee. But I agree I with think, Matt. I don't it's think it was the great. whole of I don't think it was the whole of Southampton, Mark. I think that was a Nicola Cortese decision. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, okay. But <laughs> I agree with what Matt says. I agree with what Matt says. It's not a great look. You know, I think the problem could have been avoided because Mike Dean, the week before on the midweek, didn't give the handball with cash. So that not not happy. And when you have something within four days, it becomes raw. You know, Southampton are raw. You know, the decision the week before, it's in their minds. It's Mike Dean, it's Mike Dean. Anything that happened in this match, even though that didn't affect the score, was always going to be affected. Where I always believe it's better to wait three or four weeks. They've seen three or four more referees, and then it would have been a little bit less um, raw. 
But what the problem you've got is January is a, is a really, really difficult month in the world, especially in refereeing, because they've come off the Christmas period and you've got a huge um, backlog of games. And the problem is with a small group that the PGMOL have and with the VARs, because if you make a mistake as a VAR, it affects you as a referee. If you make a mistake as a referee, it affects you as a VAR. Mm. And the problem is they haven't got enough match officials, simple as, and therefore oh, it, you're going to see not, referees. Is it not then sensible um, to utilise the the recently retired officials to do the VAR, to take a little bit of pressure off the current officials? Is that something that has been spoken about and uh, or, or has that just been dismissed, dismissed out of hand? No, because you, you can actually physically do it. FIFA allow it. So if Mike Dean decides that he wants to hang up his whistle as a referee because, you know, he's getting old mentally, not just physically, but also mentally when you get into the 50s, you know, the game the game moves forward. Is it is it good enough to, with his um, experience, to go into the VR? There's certainly certainly room for that. So I haven't got any problems with some retired guys. I've, I've left England, what, three years now, and I wouldn't go back. Um I got out at the right time because I got out before the VAR because I was always a firm believer as a referee. Referee without VAR, give everything. But the way the game's changed now in refereeing, you know, they're, they're, they're sometimes relying on the VAR and then what you're doing, you're creating an inconsistency because what you're doing is you're, you're asking a guy who's in, in Stockley Park in a cold room, not understanding the smell of the match, what, what the decision is. And they don't, they don't know what's going on in the pitch. You know, it's like a push in slow motion on the pitch. And the players accepted it's nothing. But when you watch it in slow motion, they're recommending a penalty kick, and you're like, "What?" Uh, on the on the pitch, it doesn't look, and the players don't expect it. But the cold cold room with a slow motion show it's a penalty, and it doesn't. You know, things like this doesn't add up. So, using ex players, ex players could be could be a thing. You know, they're, they're going to look at a lot of things. Let's let's be honest. They'll look at how to improve this over the years because it needs improving. But it's a new thing. We've had it a few years. There's still inconsistencies, but let's try and find a way to to, to improve it. I think one of the biggest things for me um, uh, about that situation where you're saying there about you you smell things on the pitch. You know, you can you'll see a push. You can you can almost judge the force of that push and the force of the contact. And this for me is one of the biggest things that's missing in any debate with these penalty decisions. Um, they, when a penalty is given, all that the VAR seem to do is is look for any kind of contact that makes it a penalty. And there doesn't seem to be any debate at all, and I haven't seen anything about this, about is that contact enough to make somebody fall over? Because contact alone isn't a penalty. As we know, you get a penalty every time there's a corner because people are grappling and, and every bit of contact isn't a penalty. So I think there has to be a, a more nuanced debate when it comes to giving those decisions you have to look at it in real time, not in slow motion for me. I thought the referees were only going to see things on that on their screen back in normal play, in normal time, and not in slow motion, because everything looks different in slow motion. And th there's no debate about, yes, there's contact, but that's not the end of it. Is that contact enough to make that person fall over? And that debate needs to be had as well, uh, I think, and it's something that's, that's been missing from the VAR discussions. It's a very interesting point, that, Matt, and I hear exactly where you're coming from. It only ever seems to be, is there any contact? Not, not, Marcus, yeah. that's a fair point Matt makes there, isn't it? That bit of the debate seems point. to have been omitted. It's a massive point because if a referee gives a penalty in this contact, they'll, they'll say it's enough to give a penalty, so they'll not yeah. overturn the decision. 100%, I totally agree. But let's not just bad. We've been bashing VAR for the last 10, 15 minutes. 
If we remember, before VAR, we used to complain about the holding penalty areas, corners, free kicks. VAR's, VAR stopped this. You know, we're seeing a lot more goals from attacking set players, from corner kicks, for example. It has cleaned the game up. So let's, I know we're bashed VAR and we're going to bash it because it's inconsistent at times, but it has stopped a lot of the, the, the manhandling in the corners, which I believe has been one of the big positives because I remember when I was refereeing in the Premier League, it was so difficult at corners and it was very difficult to give a penalty half the time because you didn't know who was pulling who. Now it's been reduced massively and it has improved the game in that. Let, let's, let's talk about something that, Martin, you've oh. written about today, um, not just off the back of the night, but that's Anthony Martial and, and where he is at the moment in his Manchester United and international career. Now, it was only because um, I read that um, I saw that it was his 250th game um, for Manchester United if he plays against Everton. And it said the jury's, the jury's still out. And I'm thinking, no, the jury can't be out after 250 games. If you've played 250 games and nobody can work out whether you should be Manchester United's centre-forward or not, I'd say the jury's in. It just doesn't know that he's in. Because, you know, it's his sixth season now. And if we're still debating um, whether Anthony Martial is the guy for Manchester United, well... He's not the guy for Manchester United then because, you know, you look at the Manchester United players that his appearance uh, record has, has far surpassed. Eric Cantona, Paul McGrath, uh, Robin Van Persie. He's, he's miles past uh, uh, these guys in terms of appearances. Nobody had to decide whether Robin, uh, whether Ruud van Nistelrooy was a was a was the man for Manchester United? No one had a decision to make about Eric Cantona. No one had a decision to make even about Alexis Sanchez. Um, you know, if you're 250 games in and people don't know whether you should be Manchester United centre forward or not, the answer is probably that they could do better. That's all I thought. Matt, what did what did you make of that? <laughs> I think yeah, I think it's a very valid point. You know, once you and he's been there. Was it five or six seasons now? Six seasons. This is six a sixth season. season now. You know, and he has had some fantastic spells during that. Mm. Don't get me wrong. Mm. Um, but I think for a, a club the size of Manchester United, uh, I think if you're going to be the man, the, the centre forward for Manchester United, you have to be more consistent for your team than Martial has proved to be. Uh, and that's not in any way doubting his ability because I've seen him score some fantastic goals and have some some great periods. I just think in that standard of team for what they're chasing for, uh, I think he's just a, a fraction short uh, of being a, a, a regular number nine for, for a team uh, as good as Manchester United should be. Yeah. Uh, Matt, inevitably, lots of radio, TV, newspaper columns about Liverpool, back-to-back home defeats, and lots of Liverpool fans pointing out to all of us, how would you expect us to win when that many players are injured? What do you think's happened this season? Um, I think it does go go to prove that you know even the best clubs with the with the biggest squads, if the injury list is is bad enough, it will affect you at some point. You know they went on a fantastic run, and uh, and yes, they managed to to cover in the short term when Van Dijk was out. Um, but when you have injuries on top of that, uh, so with Gomez and Matip, um, it's very difficult. It does disrupt your team if you're playing. Centre, centre midfielders at centre back on a regular basis, you know, you can get away with it in the short term, I think. 
but not on a long-term basis. And, and all it's done is shown that, you know, every football team is fallible if you have enough injuries. Um, you know, and, and yes, they've lost two home games on the spin to two teams. They probably, uh, you look at and think, well, yeah, they probably, probably should have just dispatched those teams. Um, but football's not that easy. It's, it's not that easy. And I think it just highlights really just how incredible a run it was that Liverpool went that many games mm-hmm. at home without losing a football match. And I think we should be celebrating that point rather than actually looking at the last two games and going, well, they've been a bit rubbish the last two games. And sometimes you don't give the opposition enough credit as well. But I think you do need to focus on the fact that that was a magnificent run that Liverpool have just been on. And to take it that long with the amount of injuries they had was quite incredible. And I think we should celebrate that rather than, than look to, uh, to have a go at them because they've lost against a couple of teams they should have beaten. Uh, and Martin, we should be celebrating maybe Graham Potter, who, you know, we've talked about a lot and we've seen what he's tried to do and everyone knows his story and it's a brilliant story. But actually to beat Tottenham and Liverpool back-to-back games and keep clean sheets mm. just along the coast from Matt there down in Brighton, you think actually there's something brewing there that they are really responding to what he wants. Well, they play they play good football. They're good to watch Brighton, aren't they? I mean, um, I know Pep Guardiola is a huge fan um, of the way they play and you can say oh yeah that's because you know Man City beat them or, or whatever and you know and they make it easy for them they don't you know they, they're not as cussed as some of the other teams down there but funnily enough I've seen some of the more cussed teams um, down the bottom they don't go at anybody like Brighton they don't make it as hard to, to, to win as, uh, as Brighton do playing you know, playing quite ambitious football, really, and um, no, he's, he's 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 doing a he's doing a great job. I hope, uh, you know, at the same time, I hope they they stay up because you know what it's like at a small club. You can get a run of injuries, you can get a run of bad results, and suddenly everyone's chins are on the floor, and and you know, and then and then it turns. So, I think I think he's done he's done terrific there. It's really that's really two outstanding results, Matt, isn't it? For Brighton, like back to back to beat Tottenham and Liverpool in that manner. Oh no, absolutely superb results. Uh, it really was, and um, and I think a lot of credit has to go to the hierarchy at Brighton um, because it would have been very easy uh, to pull the trigger. I think that was uh, their one win in sixteen. I think was the yeah. the run that he was on. Um, and there, as we well know, there have been managers sacked in the Premier League for a lot worse, a lot better runs than that. Um, so credit to, to Brighton, they believed in their man. Um, and I think um, the expected goals um, tally was something that was really interesting uh, because I, I saw a league table of it, uh, and Brighton were quite high up there. Um, yeah, and they were always. They were due a change in their fortune by that XG. They would, uh, they were due. A, the stats will tell you they were due a change in their fortune. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think they were always a team that um, played some excellent football between the boxes. And the one problem that they've had is is they let in silly goals, um, and they didn't have they didn't have a goal scorer that was going to get them twenty goals a season, 15, 20 goals a season, uh, and they were they were a little bit. Uh, shot shy, not particularly great in front of goal, needed quite a few chances before one went in. So um, I think in those situations, when the hierarchy are looking at that, they can see that there is some light at the end of the tunnel, you know, with those statistics. And they did well to, to back him because, um, you know, we, we said the same thing about Southampton with, with Ralph after the, the first 9-0. 
um, uh, and they did. They backed their man. And if you do that, and I, I think you you then do reap the rewards at the end of it. Um, uh, and perhaps a few more chairman of football clubs might uh, might want to look at that uh, a little bit and uh, and not be quite so trigger happy in future. I mean, the amazing okay. stat is, then we'll finish with Liverpool, Man City. Brighton's last three home wins in the league have come in three different calendar years. Yeah, they won one game at home in 2020. That was in the summer after restart against Arsenal. They won one game at home in 2019. And now, obviously, we're at the beginning of 2021. That's quite (laughs) a stat, isn't it? Anyway, Liverpool, Man City, Mark, is this when, even though the sun's out in Greece, is this when you're thinking, oh, I wouldn't mind being back in the tunnel at Anfield? Right in the middle of that, no. Oh, come on, yes. (laughs) You haven't lived till you felt that. But certainly not using VAR, that's for sure. No, I'm uh, I'm more than happy here in Greece in about 22 degrees sunshine. So, yeah, I'm not uh, complaining at all. Oh, well, Liverpool, this is, is this their last, are we into last chance scenario here, Martin? Not for top four, obviously, but uh, just to get the season back on track, vague sniff of the title. Andy Robertson says it, they won't win the title, but yeah, if, if they if win it, gonna, it gives them something. If there is going to be a, a title race that is going to go anywhere near to the wire, let alone to the wire, uh, anywhere near to it, if Man City win at Anfield, we're not going to have that. Um, it's as simple as that. And and and. You know, I've got a sneaking feeling for for Liverpool to be able to turn it on in a, in the one-off game. They've got a good record against Manchester City, but it's a huge uh, disadvantage to them not to have um, fans in in Anfield because we know how charged that atmosphere would be on on, on the day, um, and it's a huge disadvantage for them not to have their first three uh, centre halves fit. Um, as good a job as Jordan Henderson has uh, uh, has done there. Um, first four, if you include Fabina. Um, but um, nevertheless, you know there is a chance that Man City, in their current form, playing as well as they are, could go there, could get the win. And if they do get the win, then <laughs> what? What? Yeah, and it, it happens so often, doesn't it? You know, two or three weeks ago, this is the most open title race in history, and then it's a. Uh, Oh no, Man City are going to win this year. Man City by ten. Yeah. We're just I mean, going to yeah, Man- we're just going to watch yeah. Man City win this for the next two months. Yeah. I, I mean, most of us don't have a dog in the race at Anfield, but if we want a title race, we want Liverpool to do something. Otherwise, City could be you know could be ten lengths clear before we know it. Yeah, I mean, if City yeah. win this game, you, I think you would pretty much rule Liverpool out. I think you're right. This is a, the last chance saloon for them. You know, even with a win, they're still four points behind City, game in hand, um, but ten points behind. With City a game in hand, you, you know there's zero chance of that happening. Given the form that City are in at the moment, it's that given the, the the amount of fixtures that we've got, and I spoke earlier about you know perhaps players being a bit fatigued and, and all that kind of stuff for a team then to put a run together during that um, of of nine straight wins in the Premier League, uh, I think is even more impressive than it normally would be. I mean, we've seen City go on runs like this before. Um, but not quite in these circumstances. So I think we have to give a huge amount of credit to, to what Pep is doing at Man City to get a tune out of those players week in, week out, midweek in, midweek out as well. Um, so, yeah, fair play to Man City. I think they've done brilliant. They had a... Um, sorry, they, they, I was just going to say what they've done. No, no, no. What, what they've done is, if you looked at their fixture list, they had this fixture list that um, when this run of games began, you looked at it and thought, right, if ever a team 
could make a charge. If ever a team could try to get the title one in the next month and a half or whatever, it was it, it was City because they had a very favourable run of games at a time when they're not playing in the Champions League. So under normal circumstances, you you know, you've got those games and Pep's going to rest a couple of players because he's playing Borussia Mönchengladbach on the Tuesday. So he can't put his strongest team out against Sheffield United. Whereas in this particular uh, period of, uh, of the season, they can go, right, strongest team, strongest team, strongest team. And they're playing clubs that they you would expect them to be. And that's exactly what they've done. Uh, uh, they've done exactly what, a city team at their best would do, which is go on that sort of run, given the given the way it's fallen for them. It's fallen very, very well. And that's it from Game On. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. That's it from me, Mark Pugach. See you next week for more Game On. <laughs>